Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We've been working our way through Psalm 51 here and there on Sunday evenings. And we're going to take up the next few verses of the psalm this morning. And then we'll return to the Romans series next Sunday morning, Lord willing. And in this psalm, Psalm 51, we are basically overhearing David's confession of sin to God after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, if you'll recall the story. His sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. And in the part of the psalm we're going to look at this morning, which is verses 13 through 15, David's words, I think, really show us the connection between two things. They show us the connection between forgiveness and fruitfulness, between having our sins forgiven and bearing the fruit of worship and discipleship and evangelism, among other things. And we'll consider that connection together as it relates to our own lives as the people of God today. But before we begin, let's pray again together. Our God, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins we have through faith in your Son. We thank you for the full atonement that Jesus made for our sins on the cross. We thank you for forgiving David of his many sins and inspiring him to write this psalm. We thank you that we can now read his words together, his words that are your words And we pray that you would help us to understand them and to live in light of them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51, reading verses 13 through 15. These are the words of God. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Forgiveness leads to fruitfulness, and David mentions three related fruits in these three verses. You can see them in your sermon notes there. Teaching transgressors God's ways, singing aloud of God's righteousness, and declaring God's praise. Those are the fruits, or at least some of the fruits, that flow from forgiveness. And we'll look at each of those in turn. The first fruit is teaching transgressors God's ways. And I want you to notice three things about that in verse 13. First of all, notice the connection between this verse and the previous verses that is signaled by the first word in the sentence, the word then. The word then is significant for understanding the logic of these verses. Perhaps you've already seen that, but let me start reading back up at verse 7 so you can get a sense for how the word then functions in the flow of thought here. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. 
Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So the word then is sort of like a hinge that turns us from the forgiveness of verses 7 through 12 to the fruitfulness of verses 13 through 15. David is saying basically, forgive me, Lord, and then these are the fruits that I will bear. Fruit doesn't just come out of nowhere in the Christian life. It grows out of the soil of forgiveness. Forgiveness is meant to lead to fruitfulness, especially fruitfulness in ministry to others as we see in these verses. Having all of your sins forgiven doesn't give you a license to commit more sins. Having all your sins forgiven changes your heart and motivates you to live a new life. Like a prisoner who's been mercifully released from prison. His release is not meant to be a license to commit more crimes. It's meant to be the beginning of a new life. The forgiveness of sin we have in the gospel shouldn't produce more sin in our life. The forgiveness of sin we have in the gospel should produce more fruit in our life. David says, purge me, cleanse me, wash me, and so on. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And that's the second thing I want you to notice here in verse 13. Notice the specific fruit David mentions. He mentions the fruit of him teaching transgressors the ways of God, which could happen in evangelism, teaching unbelievers the ways of God, but most importantly, the way of salvation from sin through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or this could also happen in discipleship, teaching believers the ways of God, helping fellow believers who are struggling with sin. And David says that one fruit of his forgiveness will be that he teaches transgressors God's ways. And we could see that it's not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness. It's not with an air of pride, but with an air of humility. Not with a holier-than-thou attitude, but with a compassionate kindness, like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, as it's been said. David's saying, or he could say, I've been where you are. Let me show you the path of forgiveness the Lord has led me on, the path the Lord can lead you on too. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Whether it's evangelism or discipleship, it should always be done with humility because we are all sinners saved by grace. You can pray for your pastors and your elders in this. We are forgiven sinners along with the rest of the body. Yes, we are called to teach you the ways of God, but we want to do so as those who are also learning along with you. 
and as those who need the same grace of God to follow the ways of God ourselves. So pray for us. Pray for more and more of that kind of humility in our hearts and in our lives and in our leadership as your elders. I would encourage you to pray also for the parents in our congregation. Pray that we would teach our children in such a way that they understand that we need the truths we teach them just as much as they do. Pray for humble parenting. Pray that we wouldn't try to parent as if we were perfected saints, but rather to parent as forgiven sinners, relying on the Savior, pointing our children to the Savior we ourselves need along with them. Third thing I want you to notice in verse 13 is the result of all this that David anticipates. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He's confident that sinners will return to God like he, a sinner, returned to God. Whenever a sinner turns to God in true repentance and faith, God receives them. Like the father received the prodigal son when he returned home. And how many prodigals have returned home through the instrumentality of Psalm 51 over the last 3,000 years since it was written, only the Lord knows. Matthew Henry wrote, By this psalm he is and will be to the world's end, teaching transgressors, telling them what God had done for his soul. Like Paul in 1 Timothy 1, the verse we read before the start of the service, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Sinners like us see the example of David here in Psalm 51, of his sin, of his confession of sin, and of the forgiveness of his sin. And by the grace of God, we are led to the confession of our own sin and the forgiveness of our own sin through Christ. David shows us the path from our sin to our Savior. And it's a well-trodden path that he's walked and that many others before us have walked. And we are invited to walk the same path, to follow in their footsteps, and then to turn and teach others how to walk that same path with us. Forgiveness leads to fruitfulness, to the fruit of teaching transgressors God's ways. The second fruit that David mentions is singing aloud of God's righteousness. Singing aloud of God's righteousness. That's in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Notice two things here. First, a request, and then a result. The request is, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And he's probably referring to the blood guiltiness of 
his murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, him being guilty of bloodshed, blood guiltiness, and murder in the case of Uriah. God said to David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David had committed a serious sin against God. Of course, all sin is serious. There's no sin that is not serious. Shorter Catechism number 84 asks, what doth every sin deserve? Every sin, what doth every sin deserve? Answer, every sin deserveth God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. So every sin is a serious sin. But there are some sins that are worse than other sins, in a sense. It's worse to murder someone than to get angry at them. I think we would all agree. Though both are sin and both deserve God's wrath and God's curse in this life and that which is to come. But in light of that, we can say that David had committed a very serious sin against God. And yet he asks God to deliver him from his blood guiltiness. He doesn't think to himself, my sin is just too great God will never forgive me. He knows that God's grace is greater than all his sin. And so he asks God to deliver him from the guilt of his sin, even his. If God can forgive David of murder, he can forgive us of whatever sins we've committed. He can even forgive us of murder if we come to him in repentance and faith. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only God can deliver us from the guilt of our sin. We can't get rid of the guilt ourselves. No matter what we do, no matter how much good we do, no matter how religious we are, no matter how much we strive to better ourselves or our fellow man, anything we do to try to dig ourselves out of the hole only makes the hole deeper. Only God can deliver us, the God of our salvation. And that's David's request here. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. What David has is blood guiltiness. What he needs is salvation. And so his request is for deliverance from blood guiltiness, from the God of his salvation. Then the result is in the second half of the verse. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Salvation leads to singing. Forgiveness of sin leads to the fruit of of singing aloud of God's righteousness. The main way we do that is in corporate worship here during congregational singing. We sing aloud together of God's righteousness as we've already done this morning. We join our hearts and our voices in song to our Savior. 
We employ our loosened tongues to sing God's praise. And we don't sing in order to be forgiven. We sing because we've been forgiven. And it's forgiven sinners who sing best, whether we can carry a tune or not. A performance choir of trained vocalists sounds beautiful, and it's a joy to go to a concert to hear them sing. But even more joyful is a church full of redeemed sinners singing with all their might to God's praise. That's what we want to be, a church full of redeemed sinners singing with all their might to God's praise. We want to use our tongues to sing aloud of God's righteousness. And by the way, when we sing, we should sing aloud. We should sing loudly together. So kids, if you got a Christmas present this year from your mom and dad that you really wanted, something you really, really wanted, you probably didn't mumble a quiet thanks under your breath, did you? No, you probably said, thank you, mom and dad, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. The excitement of your voice showed the excitement of your heart in that moment. And when we sing to our great God, our gracious God, who has given us the most amazing gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, let's sing loudly as we're able. Let's sing joyfully. Let's sing it like we mean it together. I think we sing well as a congregation, but let's keep growing together in our singing. We have been delivered from our sins by the God of our salvation. Let's use our tongues to sing aloud of his righteousness. Sometimes we don't feel like singing. And if you don't feel like singing, pray and ask God for a change of heart. Remember the forgiveness of sin you have in the gospel. And let forgiveness produce fruitfulness in you, the fruit of singing. Obey God's command to sing. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ help you sing as you let their voices draw out your voice. Ask God to tune your heart to sing his grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And sing by faith. Sing what's real, even if it's not what you feel in the moment. Focus on God and not yourself. Sing aloud of his righteousness and holiness and goodness and grace. Here at CRPC, we try to have our voices be the main thing we hear during congregational singing. That's why our musical accompaniment is ordinarily just the piano. Our piano players play beautifully and skillfully, and we're thankful for them, but they know their job is to accompany our voices, to help us to sing in the same key and to sing at the same pace together. And of course, You can do that with other instruments as well, but our preference is to keep the accompaniment simple so that our voices stand forth as the main thing we hear during congregational singing. That's also why we often sing one of the verses a cappella, to help us remember and to enjoy the fact that it's the singing that's the main thing. Redeemed sinners singing with all their might to God's praise. Forgiveness leads to fruitfulness. 
the fruit first of trans, teaching transgressors God's ways, the fruit then of singing aloud of God's righteousness, and third, the fruit of declaring God's praise. Look at verse 15. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David asks the Lord to open his lips. It's not as if he physically can't open his lips. He spiritually can't open his lips. Similar to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, who saw God's holiness and therefore saw his own sinfulness. Specifically that he was a man of unclean lips. But then it says in verses 6 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. So much like Isaiah's lips were cleansed and then he was ready to declare God's message, David asks God to open his lips so that his mouth could declare God's praise. We might be tempted to think, I can't declare God's praise. Who am I to do such a thing? I'm a sinner, I'm unworthy. I'm a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of unclean lips. How can I speak God's truth to others? Well, none of us are worthy. We're all sinners. David was a sinner. Isaiah was a sinner. But like Isaiah, we can ask God to cleanse our lips so that we can be sent to declare his message. Like David, we can ask God to open our lips so that our mouths can declare God's praise to others. And if he can do it for David, he can do it for you. If he can do it for Isaiah, he can do it for you. By the way, let me encourage you again to pray for your pastors in particular. Pray for me and for Pastor Deckard as we preach God's word to you every Sunday. In light of this verse, pray that God would open our lips so that we can declare his praise from his word. We too are sinners. We too need cleansing, like David, like Isaiah. Pray that God would cleanse our lips and open our lips to preach the word of God every Sunday. As Christians, we are all of us called to declare God's praise in worship and in discipleship and in evangelism. In worship, primarily through singing, which we've already talked about. In discipleship, as we declare God's praise to each other, as we point each other to God and to his revealed truth, as we help each other to walk with God and to grow in grace, and we are called also to declare God's praise in evangelism as we tell unbelievers about God and his gospel. And we need God's help for all of this. As we sang earlier, my gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of of thy name. And God in his mercy uses us to declare his praise feeble though we may be. 
If God opens our lips, then God's praise is what will come out of our mouths. Charles Spurgeon had some very interesting words about this. He said, if God opens the mouth, he is sure to have the fruit of it. According to the porter at the gate is the nature of that which comes out of a man's lips. When vanity, anger, falsehood, or lust unbar the door, the foulest villainies troop out. But if the Holy Spirit opens the wicket, then grace, mercy, peace, and all the graces come forth in tuneful dances, like the daughters of Israel when they met David returning with the Philistine's head. When God is the one who opens our lips, God's praise is what comes out of our mouths. So pray that God would open your lips. Pray that he would open your lips in worship and in evangelism and in discipleship. Forgiveness leads to fruitfulness. Now, there's a sense in which David is not just describing some of the fruits of forgiveness, but actually is promising some of the fruits of forgiveness. Do you see that? Then I will teach transgressors your ways. He's promising God that he will teach transgressors his ways. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. There's a sense in which he's promising God that his tongue will sing aloud of God's righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. He's promising God that his mouth will declare God's praise. We make promises to God too. To be sure, the most important thing is not the promises we make to God, but the promises he makes to us. Our hope is not in us keeping our promises, but in God keeping his But certainly we want to seek to keep our promises to our God, don't we? That is secondary, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's secondary, but it is important. So I would encourage you to think for just a minute. What promises have you made to God? What promises have you made to God that it would be helpful for for you to remind yourself of this morning, especially here at the beginning of a new year? What promises might it be helpful for you to sort of hit the refresh button on. For all of us who are members of this church, we've taken membership vows. Membership vows are promises. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And so on. If you're a member of our church, those are some of the promises you've made. Or if you're a member of another church, perhaps you've made similar promises in church membership. For us who are married, we've taken wedding vows. Those are promises we've made to each other as husband and wife before God and before witnesses. Do you, Matt, take Kristen to be your lawful and wedded wife And do you promise in the presence of God and these witnesses to be to her a faithful, loving, and devoted husband by the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit so long as you both shall live? 
I said, I do to that over 20 years ago. And if you're married, you said, I do to something similar. Before God and these witnesses, I, Matt, take thee, Kristen, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, in abundance and in want, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. According to the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I covenant with thee to be faithful in all my responsibilities as head of our home, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be magnified in our marriage. If you're married, you promised something similar to your spouse. You promised before God. If you've had children baptized in this church, you've taken baptismal vows, haven't you? To raise your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the congregation has taken a vow to help you to do that. We've made a promise to help raise these covenant children together in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For us who are officers in this church, elders and deacons, we've taken ordination vows. And the congregation takes a vow when new officers are ordained, as we did recently. And the Bible is full of promises that we make to God. Indirectly, if not directly, like here in Psalm 51 to teach transgressors God's ways, to sing aloud of God's righteousness, to open our mouth to declare God's praise. Anytime's a good time to remind yourself of the promises you've made. But here at the beginning of a new year is an especially good time, isn't it? So think about the promises you have made. Think about what God calls you to in his word. Make sure all your hope and all your trust is in God, keeping his promises. By the enabling grace of the Spirit, seek to keep your promises. Because forgiveness leads to fruitfulness. Let the forgiveness of your sins fuel the fruitfulness of keeping your promises in the new year. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these words that David wrote so long ago under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our spiritual benefit and growth in grace. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins and help us to bear these fruits. Help us to keep the promises we've made to you by your strength and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.